This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by myself entitled Family and National Inheritance. It's from Matthew chapter 3 and 4 is what we cover. And you can also subscribe to where our messages wherever you get your podcasts. They're also available on all of our uh, on our website, ZionHebraicCongregation.com. All of them are there. And with along with message notes and you can also subscribe to my dad's weekly essays that he writes if you put your email in and you can find out any other information about us on our website and as always our theme music is by my buddy evan shaw his website is evanshawmusic.com enjoy hey mighty warriors arise Okay, Shabbat Shalom, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew today. So you're going to go to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to go through 3 and half of 4. It's been a while since I've been back through the Gospels, and... It's been fun, I think partially because it's been a little while, because you come, you come back to it and you pick up different things, and your mind is in a different place, your life is in a different place, and so things just impact you differently. Um, oh, and also, if, if you guys haven't read my dad's blog this week, it's good. You should read it. It's pretty, pretty awesome. So, well, shout out! <laughs> um, so as I read through this... It's, it's basically you, you're reading about in, in chapter 3. First, let's pray and then we'll, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this day, this Shabbat. It's time to be uh, together in your word. I just pray that we would learn from it. You would speak to us, change us, help us to become more like you. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. So, as I was read through chapter 3 and chapter 4, my mind kind of went a whole bunch of dis- different places, but... You're reading about in three, it opens up with John the Baptist. And so you're reading about John and his baptism and Yeshua getting baptized. And then the Sadducees and the Pharisees showing up. So you have this this, uh, contrasting of individuals and especially, obviously, the reaction that they get. And then you get into chapter four and you have Yeshua going into the wilderness to be tempted by by Satan, by the devil. And how he reacts. How he reacts to the devil is he basically he just quotes quote scripture like that's that's it you know you would think there'd be something more like Star Wars esque I don't know you know like why you know flashbang shiny fancy whatever and and so to me it was a little bit like it's kind of it's epic because he uses words and he uses the word of God. But it's also like ho-hum at the same time. So as I thought about this, it struck me how words are the most powerful things in the universe. 
And it was the word of God who formed the universe. It's the word of God that sustains the universe. And it's words that dictate, control, and shape our lives, our behaviors, our cultures, what, rea- what we react to, what we don't react to. And that's really the, the primary battleground. And this is nothing new and nothing that we haven't spoken on before. But it got me thinking about, you know, what really creates a family or a nation. And it's, and it's, so I wrote down here, I said, what, what, what makes a family or a nation? Because that's really what's being talked about with John the Baptist. You have John the Baptist who has, he's a priest, but he has left the national epicenter of Israel. That which is supposed to draw the people together and emulate the very throne of God in heaven he is now functioning outside of because that emanating place that is supposed to speak forth and send forth the word of God and represent it, which then is the foundational bedrock from which everything in that culture is built upon has become corrupted. And so he goes where? Into the wilderness, a place where things operate as God intended them to. And so when when that place which God has designed to act according to his word is in chaos, what happened? The spirit had to leave. His presence could not stay there. And so it left wherever it went. And now he's operating, John the Baptist is operating in the wilderness and he's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at, at hand. His word is coming to take its rightful place. And so that's what's going on. You have really this, this battle of two ways, two trees, two information sources. So what makes a family and what makes a nation? Because he's going to talk about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and how they're not in the family of God, which is a big deal. And then he, he, he outlines who and what makes you in the family, in the nation of God, because God's family is his nation, my son Israel, that he called out of. So what's a family or a nation? A name, a set of beliefs and values written or spoken, handed down generation to generation. You know, what makes a family name? I'll read that again. (laughs) So what makes a family or a nation? A name, a set of beliefs and values, written or spoken, handed down generation to generation. Because like, we're the Tanners, you're the Goodwillies, there's the Guptills. How do we differentiate who and what you are? Well, there's a na- you have your family name, but behind that family name is what? The instructions of the Father that makes that household who and what it is because it takes on the life of whoever that father is and how they choose to lead and operate their homes according to their word. And so that's the foremost important principle in a family and what makes it who and what it is. And whether or not you're operating according to that determines whether or not you are operating according to that family. Just like you have a son, when, why, why does a son get kicked out of the house and, and basically exiled from the family? He may bear the name in name only. Why? Because he's not 
living according to the instructions of the Father. And so we live in a day and age, and the world's always been this way, but it's even more so now, I, I believe, because of the age of technology and communication being instantaneous, global, everywhere, all the time, bombarded, that the devil knows the power of words. And so if you can, if you can flood the market with anything and everything, you can control the people, not necessarily by getting them, although this is, happens too, by getting them to all subscribe to you know, one little red book, you know, Mao's little red book or whatever your operating doctrinal principles. But if you can give everybody what they want, that's just as effective because most people will lead themselves to destruction. So it's also interesting too because part of what's so important about words and what makes a family and what makes a nation and a culture what it is, is what it writes down about itself, right? Which is what the Bible is, which is what any national culture is. Well, that's why history is so important. That's why George Orwell wrote, who controls the past controls the future because everything is founded on what has come before it. And so if you can manipulate that, if you can change that, you can, can change where things are going. That's why we're seeing statues torn down all over the world right now is because you have to change the past. That's why education today globally does not teach the truth of history. Why even in America our, our nation was founded with the principles that it was, the form of government that it was. Why we have an electoral college. Why, uh, I was just talking to Mary Lee, why uh, Washington DC is not a state. I couldn't have told you why two weeks ago. Now that I understand, it's genius, but we're not, we're not taught that. And so when you don't know, when you're ignorant, you can be led astray. And the devil knows that. So that's why the word is so important. And that's why I think Yeshua does something so profound and so powerful as to when he battles the devil for all the power in the universe, which he already had, he just cites back the word. He just he goes straight to Deuteronomy and he cites the word of God. So we're going to talk in Matthew 3 and 4 really about the things I want to highlight, how I want to kind of look at it is who are God's people? What makes them so? And how do then they conduct themselves? Because the battleground and what really is important is it's all about the word of God. It's always been from the beginning. It's his spirit it's his seed, it's his Torah and his law, it's the words of the Father and the leader. And it's, it's unseen, it's spiritual. That's why, that's why in the New Testament when we read, we, we tend to think, I'm not even getting into the text yet, but that's okay. Uh, we tend to read about things that seem very ethereal, you know, blinky lights in the sky, you can't pin it all down, things like faith. And, and the reason why Paul was hitting on that, primarily Paul, but also John and some other passages, the reason why he was hitting on these things is because they're the most important. Because what, ha what came forth in the very beginning was the Word of God. You couldn't see it, but it made and formed all things. So faith, 
the seed, what happens inside the heart of mankind when you are born again or when a baby's created, nobody can see that. But it is the most important foundational thing. And so it's the words written or spoken are the most powerful things in the universe. Um, all right, so I don't want to jump ahead too, too much. And that's why I think, too, what's really interesting today is like, What's really big right now, you know, podcasts, you know, it's, it's spoken word. Uh, why is the news, you know, interesting? Because it's, again, it's spoken word. Uh, books, whether electronic or digital, blogs, you know, it's all, it's all words. It's all how we, that's right. I, I don't know if you finished it yet. I, I, I don't know, five or six chapters into 1984. Pfft, book is pretty awesome. And, uh, so anyways, it's, it, it, and it's interesting in that book, he talks about how, how do you communicate with the future? You have to, and I think George Orwell was writing about himself when he was writing what the character was doing because how do you communicate with the future? He's living in the day and age that we live now and, and he even says, what's crazy, he says, he's like, because he picks up, he gets paper and a pen to write. And he's like, it felt so weird, I'm paraphrasing, to write something because nobody writes very much anymore. We speak it into the speech. The speak right. The speak right, which is what I do on my phone all the time. I voice text or you digital text. Who writes with a pencil or a pen very much? Much longer than like a cup, a sentence. Almost nobody. Who is I read? Oh. I, I read a book that was written in the 19, this is all superfluous, but it was written in the 1920s right after World War I. And he purposely wrote it with a pen and paper because he didn't like the mechanical rigidness of a typewriter because they, he knew that it actually changed the way that he wrote. I don't think it's any coincidence that the Bible's written before all of this. So anyways. My two cents on all of that. All right, but let's let's kind of get into this. So that's all, kind of all the backdrop of of what I want us to be thinking about when we get into John uh, or Ma Matthew, and we're going to go to some different passages. We're going to go into John and Romans. We're going to go to Deuteronomy, and some of this is just you know you're not going to read this in other commentaries. It's just coming straight out of my brain. So take it for what it is. All right. So Matthew chapter three. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So again, that's a big deal right there. Like I said, he's a priest, he's outside the system, he's speaking words in the wilderness. Keep in mind the Exodus story too, because I think, because Yeshua's life is, is parallel, I believe, with the, with the Exodus story. They went down into Egypt, they came out of Egypt, he's immersed. Uh, and then he then goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. This, these things, the, the similarities are not weird coincidences. They have meaning. Okay, keep going here. Saying, verse 2, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, that's words that have to be spoken to repent. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of Yahweh. Make his paths straight. That's a, that's a quote from Isaiah 40, verse 3. So this, this, this person, this John the Baptist, he was to prepare the way of Messiah, make his paths straight. 
which was done through words that produced fruits of action. For, and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And he uh, then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized in the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were speaking, they were saying, I have done, you know, why do you need to confess? Like, why can't you just change, change your ways? Because I believe there's a physical, like physics in the universe, energy transfer, whatever you want to call it, woo-woo. When, when you say something, there is an effect. It's, it's energy. And so they confessed their sins. And then based on that, then they were, they were immersed to show what? I talked about it when we had the baptism. The transformation that happened to them from death into life. Seven. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, so the, here we have the contrast, like all of a sudden it gets dark and storm clouds gone and he's talking to them. And he, say, he says unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And we're gonna, I'm going to kind of come back and explain all this. Think not to say within yourself, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham now. Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn, uh, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. All right, we'll pause there and come back to this. I want to talk about this. So he's, he's baptizing. People are confess, confessing because, again, it's talking about this family or this nation. Who really are God's people? You So you have... The temple system that had been corrupted and was full of chaos, which they represent, the Sadducees and Pharisees. And then you have John, which is the priest. Some people think the high priest of the actual time. I tend to believe that, possibly. Outside of the system, in the wilderness, where God always draws his people when there's problems. And so, then the Pharisees come out to them. Because wherever Israel is, there will be Esau to mess things up. So he said to them, generation of vipers who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So he, he, you know, snakes in the Bible are always symbolic of the bad guy. Whether or not there was an actual serpent in the garden, whatever. I'm not here to debate that today. But the, the, they symbolize death and, and Hasatan. So he compares that, them with that. And we'll keep going. So... Then he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Because there was wrath to come. Because anytime there's systemic disobedience, there will be judgment brought for that. And so bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. Then he goes on to kind of clarify why he says that. So he says, bring forth fruit, meet repentance. Well, fruit is produced from the seed that it came forth from. So you plant an apple tree, or an apple seed, it produces 
apples on an apple tree unless you do some sort of weird modified genetic engineering stuff which is i think the need a hybrid uh the knowledge of the tree of good and evil is it's a mixing of two things that's not what god intended so he says, bring forth fruits of repentance. Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham our father, for I say unto you, God's able to raise of these stones to raise up children under Abraham. So they were setting their hope in their, they were like, they said to themselves, we're children of Abraham, i.e. we're in the club. We're the people of God. We are the nation of Israel, our father Abraham. The promises were given to him. We're from that. So therefore we are part of the household. But he says, no, you have a different seed in you. You're not bringing forth the right fruit, the right works, just as a son may have the physical seed of his father in him if he does not live according to the words and instructions, which is the life of the home and the family that the father gives, he gets kicked out, he gets exiled because he is not part of the family when he's not operating according to the words. It doesn't matter what the physical seed is. Just like you can have adoption. You can adopt a child and that child has not the physical blood and DNA of the mom and dad running through them. But when they live under that roof and according to that household, they produce the fruit of that house and they are part of that family. And so John's saying, you are vipers you are children of your father the devil satan bringing forth his fruit so and then he goes on and we'll uh and so he's basically saying abraham because what's what's the story of abraham we talked about this before abraham he had isaac and esau he's screw these two up right well he saw you know he's just as much a brother as isaac was but the promise was not through him and he did not produce the works of his father. And so the promises went to Isaac. And the, and the, and the, the inheritance, we're going to talk about inheritance a little bit, went to, because that, that is what, um, what a family, what you pass down, what your inheritance is, is not so much the physical goods, it is the, it's the life lessons and instructions. And so God's word is our inheritance, and we're going to read that. We're going to get to that. So... So what I want I want to go now. Uh, so where I want to go is um, go to John chapter eight real quick. So we're gonna go to John uh, eight. We're gonna start in verse thirty. We're gonna read through 44 because this again it's all about the word and who his people are who his disciples are who his nation is his family is so verse 30 and he spake these words many believed on him then said Yeshua to those Jews which believed on him if ye continue in my word then ye are to my disciples indeed and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free they answered and said we be Abraham's seed we have never been in bondage to any man. Bondage to any man. How saith thou, you shall be made free? And Yeshua said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. And if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me. 
your fruit or your seed is producing the wrong kind of fruit. You seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. His seed, which is word, which is the inheritance, which produces the fruit. I speak that which I've seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham's our father. Yeshua said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. They're exhibiting Esau's fruit. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard from God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. As you said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, neither can I, uh, came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convict me of sin? If I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. So, hopefully that, you grasp all of that, what's going on. His word and the seed, that which makes for the culture, uh, the essence of everything that a people is, lies in this word. And so that's what he was saying to uh, them when he think not that we have uh, Abraham, you have Abraham our, our father because God could make children out of the stones if he wanted to of Abraham. It doesn't matter that physical blood that's coursing through your veins. It's that seed of faith. It's Yeshua's blood. So uh, going on here, oh quickly, let's just you don't have to turn if you want to, but Romans eight. I just want to read. Oh, I'm sorry, Romans 9, verse 8. Uh, verse 7, we'll start. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For the promise came to Sarah, blah, 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 blah. So in other words, just because you're born of, a, of Abraham does not make you a child of the promise. And that was the whole massive issue in the first century. And that's why, again, we tend to get hung up, I think, from our Christian background on these ethereal words that don't have tons of meaning, like faith, uh, trust, and belief. But they, they emanate, they come from a physical understanding but it's but it's unseen the seed is in the dirt you can't see it you only see the fruit that it produces and so they're the most important things you just can't see them that's why the spiritual things which are physical it's just unseen are the most important so uh let's see here let's keep going um okay Verse, oh yeah, 11, this is fun. In I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that is coming after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So I got thinking, 
And, and that fire, it's attached with verse 12, whose fan is in hand, he will thoroughly purge for his gathers wheat into his garden and will burn up the chaff with uncrunchable fire. So whenever, again, you release it with an agricultural thing, you would harvest your wheat, you'd, uh, you'd beat off the chaff, you'd run the threshing sledge over it, and then you'd burn up the chaff with fire. And so he's gonna immerse his people, he's gonna baptize them with his spirit, the word, and with this fire. So I got thinking like, well, what is this fire? that he's gonna burn people up with. So this is my own thing, and I may be way off, but if you go to Deuteronomy, um, chapter 33, I think Moses tells us. We'll just start in one. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, Yehovah came from Sinai, and rose up from Seir unto them. And he shined forth from Mount Paran and came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. It's really interesting to me that this, this thing that is baptizing them, which is purging them, which gives them culture and that which makes them a family and a nation burns up as a necessity anything else that is not of its own. And that's why I think he says, the ax is laid to the trees. And every, every fruit, the tree that doesn't bear forth fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire because his word refines and purges all things. A fiery law went forth from him. So that's just my own little thing, but uh, in, go down to verse four of 33, it says, Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. So the Torah, his, his word, his laws, they are our inheritance. It's the only thing God has given us that gets passed down generation to generation. All right, so go back to Matthew. We're almost done. So, all right, let's get into four real quick. So Yeshua gets baptized. The Spirit descends on him. And he uh, says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I think, you know, Yeshua, his life pictures the wilderness with the, the whole, like, Egypt and then wilderness experience where they're, where they're delivered from Egypt. They're immersed in the Red Sea. They go to the mountain. They receive the Torah, his spirit, and then they're, they journey through the wilderness. And what sustains them through the wilderness is, and, 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 and they receive the, all of the, the Torah while they go through the wilderness, right? And that's what makes it so that they can get through. And uh, so he, so Verse four, or chapter four, sorry. When Yeshua, then was Yeshua led into this, uh, led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he had fasted 40 days, 40 nights, and was afterward hungry. I'm gonna go through all, all, all of this, but he said, um, so jump down to verse four. He says, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the north of God. Then he takes him to the holy city, and says, throw yourself down, which is a butchery, butchery, uh, contouring, or whatever I'm trying to say. He's misquoting scripture there. But again, Yeshua says in verse 7, it is 
written. He uses this fiery law to purge away the lack of clarity of what's going on and the chaos. He just goes straight to what is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Then he tries to uh, get him to worship him. Satan tries to get him to worship him. He says, get thee hence, Satan. Verse 10, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaved him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. So, well, that's where we're going to stop. Uh, but I think it's just so awesome that right after, on the heels of, of John the Baptist, who had left the system and was in the wilderness preaching repentance and immersion and talking about who the true people of, people of the Word of God are, what makes a family is, is the word and how and what's really in them, this spiritual thing. And then Yeshua going forth and, and then living it out in the wilderness by saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he quotes scripture three times to the devil. It's like, you know, the most epic battle ever, right? And he just quotes scripture, you know, just short little, few little verses. It is written, you know, and... And then the devil leaves him. And so I think it's the same thing for us now because we live in a battle of words and history and culture and, and, and teaching. And we have to be proactive. We, you know, as the Bible says, we are to teach them diligently to our children. We say it in the Shema. Speaking to them, when you lay in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, write them on the doorposts of your houses on your gates, bind them as a sign on your hand, frontals on your forehead. It's supposed to permeate every aspect of our lives. And that takes work. And a lot of us men, like our forefather Adam in the, wilder, in the, in the garden, did not do his job. And so we tend not to do our job. And chaos ensues, and we shouldn't wonder why or blame it on anyone else other than ourselves. So that would be my exhorting, passing, ending thoughts is that, you know, to lead our homes, lead our households, be in the Word of God, teach it, disseminate it, because misinformation and false information is coming at us from every side. And so as you get into the Word more, you start to see, kind of like your blog dad actually goes along pretty well, like maybe we don't need all these things that we've been told we do. And in fact, they lead us away from a godly life, from a worldly life. Uh, Meryl even brought up, like we were talking about, like, you know, how history is being changed because if you change the words of the past, of, of the past in history, you change what the course of the future will look like. And so that's why monuments are torn down. But then she was like, well, were there monuments in ancient Israel? And I said, probably not, actually. It would have been antithetical to a biblical way of thought to make monuments. They, they as far as I can tell, they were never a people. Uh, some, some symbolism of, of animals and things like that, or like a pillar or a stone erected with words written on it. But again, like my point being, we need to start to shape our life outlook to a biblical outlook and analyze the little things in our in our life because I believe that's why Paul told us like be not or maybe shoot I'm gonna quote it uh, be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind be in the world not of the world these, all these little things that we like to quote and like to to me it's like okay cool what's that mean 
Um, you know, I think through as the, our walk deepens with God, all these things start to make a little more sense. So anyway, that's it. We'll pray and, um, uh, and be done. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for these passages and for your word and for all that you do and provide. And I just pray that we would stay in your word, stay in your family, in your culture, and the inheritance you're, you've given us, that we would hold on to that and walk it out, and that you would bless. And uh, thank you for all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Hey.